Awesome. How's everyone doing? Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. So uh, it is really good to be back in Southern California and uh, with you wonderful people. Um, really good to be back, but it was a refreshing time. I went up to Washington State a couple of weeks ago, or a week or so, a week and a half ago, to be with my, one of my best friends, Scott Harris, who was being installed as a lead pastor at a church in Everett, Washington. And I got to speak at the service, bringing some Southern Californian preaching a little bit there. And um, that's why I am now, I'm a Southern California preacher. Did you know that? <laughs> Yeah, with a funny accent, but there you go. But it was really, really awesome. Had lots of uh, old friends who were gathered around right in the front, and it just felt like a really familiar time. It was really restful and very like, you know, when sometimes you visit another place and you see what's happening in another group of believers, like very similar things happening. Even the fact that my friend has been called as lead pastor there. Uh, We have been formed in many ways. We worked together for 10 years, and there's a lot of things that we see and we understand, and I just see this kind of parallel thing happening. It's really exciting. I think churches all over the place, there's God is on the move. It's a song we sung earlier. He's doing big things, great things, and it just requires us to, you know, hold on, you know, like the Incredicoaster, you know, and uh, for for the ride, because it's, you know, there's a lot going on. Uh, His spirit is at work. But it was really good to be back. I had a little time of vacation with my family when I got back from that, which was wonderful down at Newport Beach. I didn't, Duffy Boats, is that what they're called? I didn't know about that till the day we were leaving. I'm like, we didn't go on the Duffy Boats. Apparently that's the big thing in Newport Beach, right? No, you didn't know either. Wow. We should all go together sometime. A really big Duffy Boat. Um, I'm really grateful for Melody Anderson and Chris Neal, who uh, uh, shared uh, for the past couple of weeks, uh, shared the word. Uh, Melody talking about a new perspective on evangelism. What does it mean to share your faith? Um, and then Chris shared about uh, vocation and ministry. Um, and, and one thing that Chris did, which I'd like to encourage us all to do, uh, was he asked if we could give our workplace address. There's no weird kind of pyramid scheme reason for asking you guys to do this, okay? It simply is that it is a fact that we have these different spheres of influence as believers where we uh, are. Uh, home is one, church and the, and the community around there is one, and also where you work is most definitely one, because how many hours a week, if you're, whatever you do, whether you're home with your kids, whatever you're doing, if you're retired, do you spend in that particular place? And we want to get an idea of where our people are uh, through the week, uh, with the hopes actually over the next year or so, kind of gathering people from similar areas together and just having a, like a lunch get together or something and talking and praying about how we might uh, be a, a presence for Jesus in that particular area. Because it would be quite surprising how spread out we are across Los Angeles. So if you would uh, kindly point your phone if you know how to do this, alternatively, you can uh, give information at the connection desk today. We'd really appreciate it so we can know where everyone is. And if you've already done that, thank you so much. Really appreciate your trust level. Uh, But like as I said, there's no, this information will be kept very uh, confidential uh, only for myself and a couple other staff. So, all things new, that is what we're doing. I just wanna clear up any confusion people might have about what this whole thing's about. We've been doing this series. We came out of the, you know, uh, maybe a more predictable season of, of going through the book of Acts. And then we're, we're opening the season of all things new. Um, so I just want to talk about that a little bit because uh, predictably, there has been a little bit of uh, reaction, much positive, uh, but a little perplexing at times. And I just want to be very, very clear about what this is supposed to be and what is this not supposed to be. 
The first thing I want to say is that this is by no means saying that all things that are new are good and all things that are old are bad, okay? Please believe me, that is not true. Because many of the things that we have that are new and come along as the new thing in our culture are, are not particularly good at all. And many of the things that, that are older are, are strong and worthwhile and will last. Um, who still has a chia head at home, for example? Things that are new <laughs> that don't last. Anyone? Or a waterbed. Yeah? Yeah. Who still has a waterbed, man? Those things were a good idea, apparently, at one time. <clears throat> Who still throws out Gangnam style on the dance floor? That's gone, man. There's new dances. Okay, Paul does. What about the very new, at one point, attempt to make Americans uh, conform to the metric system of measurement? Right? All things new? Nah, not going to take it. Okay, this is really freaky, and it's just an aside, but here's a map of the countries who are not using the metric system in the world. <laughs> this freaked me out. Liberia, Myanmar, and in the United States of America. I don't know. But all things new... Here's what this concept is about. I think God's word, if we read scripture, and our personal experience for anyone who is both self-aware and paying attention to the world that we live in, can see there's something desperately and deeply wrong with the human race and the way we live with one another and with creation. Um, despite our ability to carry out acts of tremendous kindness, and there is that, and it's amazing, and people do incredible things for one another in this world, Kind things, heroic things. Is there a slide for that? There is a slide. Pop, go. Yeah, you know, you see this stuff on the news and it's like, wow. It's, we, we have the capacity to do that. But also we are capable of terrible evil, dreadful, despicable, awful things, as we've seen recently too, correct? Well, the Christian way teaches us that there is a new way to be human which more and more will enable us to actually be that noble, kind, generous, compassionate, peaceable person that we aspire to be and that we always applaud when we see it pop up among us and to more and more squash down, kill the kind of parts of us that are capable of such wickedness. The Christian way teaches that there's a new way to actually be, start to become that and that each person, every person, no matter who they are, where they've been, what they've done, is invited to be a full participant in this movement. And Jesus came and he spoke about his kingdom coming to earth and he said he was calling everyone to repentance. That word can trip us up, but it simply means to change my mind. To change my mind and then to turn towards a new way of living. To confess that what I have been doing with others in my life and the way things are going is not working, it is broken, it needs repaired. And then to align myself with the power that comes to heal and to repair and to restore and to reconcile all the damage. And it starts within us through relationship with God and all the guilt and shame that's accumulated and all the consequences of all the brokenness has been taken care of by Jesus. That's what we claim. 
He is taking care of it. He is taking care of both the penalty for our wrong and he's, both also, he's also given new life that we can be transformed from the inside which starts to then come out on the outside in surprising and amazing ways by actually being changed within. But we all know, I think, if you've been, you've been with yourself however many years you've been alive, that there's a tendency for us to just return to the old ways. It is pretty easy to do. Uh, we tend towards this gravitational pool of selfishness and pride and arrogance and even depending on things, gods with a small g, money, power, whatever it might be, we, we tend toward these and it's really so, such a draw. So the constant call of those who would seek to follow Jesus is to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him every single day and let him renew our minds, offering ourselves for his inspection Test me, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in this everlasting way and to be open to that voice. That's what this is about. To be able to, for God to say, to say, well, make me new, make me new, make me new against my own resistance, against my own desires often, sometimes too. Um, and there's a day coming, Jesus promised that he would restore everything to its rightful state. There's a lot of confusion about what heaven is. What is heaven? This is a new heaven and a new earth. It's not some cloudy, floaty, harp-playing existence for all eternity, nor is it a hymn-singing church service for all eternity. What it is, is a full, joyful human experience in God's presence and creation's undimmed beauty as it was supposed to be and one another's unhindered companionship across all tribes and cultures and nations together. And that's something to look forward to, but we can have a taste of that now. Chris Neal last week shared this concept that this kingdom is both now, as Jesus said, my kingdom is here and not yet. The full expression is to come, but now there is something happening here on earth. And he said that, uh, Neil shared that in light of that, the church is supposed to signify this, to show it, to demonstrate, to be it. He said it was a sign and an instrument and a foretaste I love that concept of foretaste. And I shared it like this. I'm mostly vegetarian now uh, because, you know, because uh, I'm not a good cook and my wife's vegetarian. <laughs> but I still love bacon and some other assorted, you know, associated things, right? Um, and I was thinking, you know, it's like if I was in, in bed having a long lie, you know, one of those rare occasions, right? And, and I, I just smelled bacon, like the smell, I'd be like, there's something really good happening in the kitchen and I can't wait to get there. It's gonna be delicious, right? Well, it's like the church is a scent of something beautiful, intangible, mysterious, incredible, but that people that you would long for, that's what we're supposed to be like in this world. We're also supposed to be interacting with one another in such a way that we're sort of living out what the kingdom would have us to do with one another. And we're a sign pointing to that day it's already coming, rushing back at us in the church. That's what it's supposed to be. So this summer, we'll be looking at aspects of our lives that we might want to consider or let Jesus have us consider in a new way that would affect our ability to publicize this kingdom and signify and to form, actually form it. So these messages and the sharing of scripture around these areas and the recommended books that we've been talking about um, and the conversations that I hope that we've been having with one another are all supposed to lead to this kind of consideration and change. 
all things new. And it's really just a gradual process of becoming conformed to who Jesus is, but within the uniqueness of who you are. That's important. It's not always fun, is it? For those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, being transformed is not fun. <laughs> it's not. It's described throughout scripture as a refining fire and all kinds of images that none of them are particularly pleasant, but it is good. Jesus didn't promise us fun. He actually promised us suffering and indescribable joy along with it. So suffering, there's gonna be some, I warned us all at the beginning of this sermon series, we're digging into some stuff, there's gonna be some anxiety and it might be a little challenging at times. Um, suffering, but it's not, so it's not the kind of thing though where we think of suffering, we think of like an injury or something. This is a kind of a spiritual challenge where we feel a, a, an inner kind of resistance and it's painful and I, I have a choice at that point to, to walk away and give up or, or to just say, no, I'm sticking with this. You're doing something good in my life and I don't like it right now, but I'm trusting that you are gonna reap fruit in my life. And, and here's the thing about me, I'm 50 years old now, as many of you know, so pretty much every movement I ever do, from sitting to standing or anything in between there, involves dad noises, the, right? It's like, oh, I find myself doing it. I'm like, what sound just came out of my mouth? What is that about? And it's kind of embarrassing. And almost sometimes I feel like, did I just do that like, to get attention? Because I'm feeling like I'm a bit needy. Oh. But that's kind of what it's like these feelings are, are sort of like the noise that we make when God calls us to exercise previously dormant or neglected or underutilized new spiritual muscles of the heart and the mind and the body, new ways of being, new ways of seeing, understanding, even geographically. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Um, it, it requires, it's strenuous. And so as we're lingering over these new perspectives, for, uh, for some or all of us, there'll be a feeling of anxiety or even somewhat otherwise unpleasant sensations that actually may not have been part of your church experience before because you may have been coming to church and hearing things that generally just made you feel good and happy. But that is not what Jesus came to do. Have I said this to people recently, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He wants us to grow, and growing's not fun. I remember getting, every pain I got when I was a teenager, my mom said, oh, it's growing pains. I'm like, that's just a blanket explanation for anything, you know? And medical stuff was free, so what the, you know, come on. It wasn't like a money thing, it was just, oh, growing pains, son. Am I supposed to have this giant lump? Oh, growing pains. But my prayer is that it's Jesus who's challenging us because that's a different kind of challenge. And if I am the one, if I'm, if I'm banging some like ideological drum here, I hope you do come and talk to me. And, 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 I, and I, he told something the other day, if, if I find myself in that place, I got a penal I'm accountable to and they will tell me, but I'm trying to let Jesus speak through this stuff it, as imperfectly as it is. But I like to say right now, I'm really grateful that there are some of you who have come to with serious questions about the things we've been talking about what's been on their mind. There's some very honorable people in this congregation, very honorable people who take seriously the words of Jesus who said, if you have an issue or a concern, you come to your brother and you talk to them about it and you, you reconcile. And, I, and I would encourage us all to do the same. I've said many times, let's talk about these things. It's how we grow, that's how we grow. And interestingly, this ties in very well, finally, with the subject of this morning's message. 
because this morning we are taking a look at the concept of disagreement. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. All right, it's a good way to start. Disagreement. Yes, we are. Um, so, in preparation for this, uh, I asked my good friend and beloved co-worker, Justin, a man of many talents, who played electric guitar this morning, actually, uh, to create a poll, which many, many of you responded to. It was on the Facebook All In page about just basic questions about, do you prefer this or this? Um, and I have the results I want to share with you right now. So, we're going to look at the first one. The poll, Dodgers versus Angels was the question, and our audience said 55%. Do you agree? Secondly, Android versus iOS, and the answer is, oh, what? Thirdly. Country versus rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Okay, next one. Delicious or disgusting? Kale. Is kale delicious or disgusting? And fifth, oh, close. I love it. Delicious. Okay, set next one. Star Wars or Star Trek? This is crazy, this one. And the answer? Jar Jar Binks, man. Okay, next one. Morning person or night owl? Yeah, go. Oh, you guys obviously are. Next one. Forest or beach? Hit it. Oh, and you have both here. It's beautiful. What a place. Okay, next one. Cats or dogs? Go for it. That's the last one. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. So here's the thing though, like, so these are disagreement. But I think we'd all agree that it was very, very unlikely that these would end a relationship. Or even, pardon? The kale one, the kale one perhaps would. <laughs> or even get in some kind of war of words about these subjects. They're pretty, they're pretty benign, they're not really, although, you know, I've seen people kind of, we're a war-like war race. I've seen people get in some fights about some of these things. Um, but what about within these walls, this community, when the subjects about which we disagree are of far deeper meaning, of far deeper conviction, that we believe with such deep conviction that the side upon which we stand is the right one, and has huge repercussions for human health, cultural health, national security, even eternal destiny, we think. I don't even need to name them. The contentious issues that make the news every day, politically, socially, culturally, environmentally, so on, there are so many of these. One of the benefits of being a pastor, or perhaps you say the downsides of being a pastor, is that I get to know an awful lot about what people actually think and believe in this congregation. I actually get to know that. And, and I, I can tell you, there's a big variety of people here in New Song Church. And so many issues, big variety of perspectives. That may surprise you. 
It's interesting that sometimes when we have a very strong perspective of our own, we, we kind of assume that everyone else sort of thinks the same way as we do, but often we don't talk about these things. We just don't talk about them because they're they are contentious, they're difficult, and not like cats or dogs or Android or iPhone. But I can tell you that there are a bunch of different variety, varieties of belief and perspective here um, and conviction. And I anticipate this becoming more so, I'd like to say. And I actually hope this is the case. I believe it would be a bad sign if this were not to happen. And I'm going to explain why this morning. So please bear with me. And remember, if you want to talk with me, I am always available to talk about this stuff. But I would hope also we talk with one another about these things. So let me explain why. If we think back to the book of Acts, we studied the whole book of Acts from start to finish. Good, good for us. Uh, and we saw that the beginning, the Christian way grew out of the Jewish uh, tradition. Uh, and then it spread into all kinds of communities and cultures, tribes, nations, languages, religious understandings. It was an amazing, an amazing process into such diversity of peoples. And the Christians, but it began with the Jewish people. Um, Jesus and his followers were all Jewish. It was very clearly a Jewish movement. Uh, well, even within all these Jewish tribes, there was a vast range of beliefs, political allegiances, ceremonies, customs, traditions. It was very much not a homogenous kind of group of all the sameness. It was very varied. And when Peter first preached, he was in Jerusalem, and he first preached about the good news of the gospel, um, there were huge amounts of different kinds of people from all over the place that were gathered there for the kind of unity moment of, of celebrating this uh, Jewish festival that was happening at the time at Pentecost. Uh, in Acts uh, chapter two, we read, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. That's an amazing range of people that came that day for the purpose of worshiping this God whom they all revered, but from incredible different backgrounds. Uh, and then it says in verse, uh, chapter, sorry, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized after he preached and shared and this incredible moment happened and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. About 3,000. Was it all one particular type or group or tradition or culture or race? 3,000 of all these different people who responded to the message, the singular message that Jesus had come, that he was the hope for Messiah who would, who's bringing salvation to the world. So do you suppose that there then followed an extensive workshop with these 3,000 people whose goal was to bring into complete uniformity every cultural, traditional, and political detail for all of these 3,000 people? That's what they did for the next time, that you must believe the same as Peter and whoever about every single thing. Even the disciples were quite varied in some of their situations. It's not very likely. So now we have a diverse group of people whose sole connection is faith in God and a commitment to Jesus as Lord. That's the uniting factor for them. Very broad variety of people. So then the gospel moves out to the Gentiles and wow, it's getting crazy now. All kinds of people are, are drawn to this message of Christ and they don't even understand why. And it becomes more and more a diverse group of people. First Thessalonians, a letter to the church in Thessalonica. 
Paul writes, your faith in God has become known everywhere. That's what's become known. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is what happened. Such a range of people were now coming to this, this, the sharp end of the point was Jesus. That's what they had in common. Greeks and Romans, barbarians, slaves and free peoples, all kinds of merchants, soldiers, politicians, philosophers, tradesmen of all kinds, sailors. It's getting kind of crazy in the church, isn't it? What are they gonna do? So in the midst of these conditions, the counsel from the leaders come about what to do in situations of disagreement because most of the letters in the New Testament were written to groups of people who were extremely diverse, who were trying to be faithful to Christ, and they were written to correct problems, issues, things that were causing their witness to to be damaged uh, and their ability to be a sign and a foretaste and an instrument of the kingdom of God as they were called to be as Israel was originally called to be, they were meant to be the same thing, a big sign pointing to God. And they just, you know what happened, if you know the story of the Old Testament, we don't have time to go into it. In fact, no, let's do that. Okay, Genesis 1, verse 1 now. Well, here's the thing. Most of the corrections that were offered were not about what you think they would be, which would be moral issues such as sexual immorality or stealing. Most of the issues are about division, and especially division around issues which are not central to this Christian faith, but things that were causing problems. Philippians chapter four, which we, I think we're gonna study Philippians in the fall. I think that's our next port of call, by the way, to go before Advent into Philippians. But there's this moment here where Paul writes a letter to this church and he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, that's the number one thing, right? Brothers and sisters, we're family. You know family? You don't always get along with everybody, you don't always agree with everybody, but your family, right? Your family, whether you want to be or not. You who I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. It's interesting the words he uses. He doesn't say, necessarily to agree about whatever it is that you have a contention about, but he says, be of the same mind in the Lord. That is, that is what I'm asking you to do. Agree about who Jesus is and what he calls us to do. Even in the midst of some disagreement, do not step into sinful uh, departure from this way together in the body of Christ because of your disagreement and others help them to do this. And in Colossians chapter three, in the context of this very diverse church, Paul writes this, here, here, this church, this body, this new way of being human, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. What does that mean? Well, I don't think it means that these people suddenly cease to be these things when they come to Christ. A Gentile believer, a Gentile is still a Gentile in their belief. They're Gentile believers. A Jewish believer is still a Jewish believer. Many of them would continue to celebrate the traditions and things that they would do. I don't imagine someone becoming uncircumcised. 
as much as I don't imagine someone electing to become such when, when uh, that is not their tradition. A slave, unless they were freed by a Christian master who said, go be free, was, would remain a slave. Free people would remain free. So what is he talking about? Well, he says, he continues on, but Christ is all and is in all. Like you're still, you have your experience, your history, your perspective, your convictions, but Christ is all and in all. He is the bond that can hold us together regardless of our situation. And all through the New Testament, Paul and others keep saying, do not depart for any reason. You hold together. By this they will know that you are my people and that I exist and I am real. By the way, you love one another. Not uh, setting aside differences, but actually because of these very differences, it's, it's shown to be possible that people can finally cross the barriers that separated them because of Jesus, even while remaining in many ways, perhaps politically aligned a certain way, whatever that might be. Um, but be in Christ and then journey together toward the sense of unity in that one place from which all other unities might come. And he goes on, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, these other distinctions don't matter anymore because you're in Christ, so do this. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Why would he say that? Because they're gonna have grievances against one another. <laughs> Here's what to do in case of. Forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and that is a heavy thing to say. You're only here because of forgiveness and grace. Your perspective was not the same as Christ when he died for you. In fact, you were a rebel and an enemy, and he purely by grace, forgave you and reconciled yourself to him. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, not the peace of some fake peace where we pretend that we're all getting along just fine thanks and then passive aggressively do whatever it is we do when it's not really the case. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. What were they taught that was essential? That all things were now to be surrendered to Christ as Lord. That was the ultimate rule. That is our calling to say, whatever convictions I have about everything, I submit it to your rule, Lord. And I am a sinner and I am prone to all kinds of wrong thinking, wrong believing, easy believing, and I give it all to you. Because what ultimately is the hope of the church? The church, this church, I'll say it new song, as long as I'm have any influence here, this church exists to promote one single passion, one single purpose, one single personality, one single pursuit, and what we believe to be the one answer to all of our mess, and that is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen. And nothing less, no other philosophy, ideology, solution, Jesus. Everything else is under that. Peter writes to the church, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Give your heart to that. Fully let that inhabit you deeply in Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone asking you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
but do this with gentleness and respect. For, for a believer in Jesus, what is the hope that you have? It is Jesus. Is there a greater hope? Is there something of more eternal worth uh, consequence than that? And then what, but how does he say to share that hope with gentleness and respect? Are there other hopes? Sure there are. There are other ways that we could do things that might help our nation, our world, our country, and they're all, many of them are good, many of them are flawed, broken, whatever. But if we're told to share the most important, vital, eternally consequential hope that we could ever have with gentleness and respect, would we do less with any other lesser hope? Gentleness and respect. Earlier I stated that I anticipate differences of opinion becoming more prevalent here in, in some in convictions, in sense of conviction. And I actually hope this is the case and I believe it would be a bad sign if this was not to happen. And here's why. Because if we're living out the gospel in a real and sacrificial manner, letting Jesus challenge, convict, convince, and change us, there will be many more people entering into community with us who don't subscribe to every aspect of my particular long list of convictions about everything under the sun. And we will have people here who do not agree with us on everything. And that is okay. Because Jesus is here and he, his primary concern is that they come into a relationship with him. Primary concern. Everything else, nothing else can happen without that. Because we're still lost in our sinful ways. But when we have that relationship, then we can start to filter out things and understand better. But it's a process and a journey. And we're all very different. They might be angels fans. Or Android phone users. Or actually cat lovers. Or morning people, how annoying are they? If you're a morning person, please come early and help set up on Sunday morning. And if you're a night person, stay up a little late and pray for the morning people who are coming on Sunday morning to set up early. Actually pray that God will transform your sinful ways to be a morning person. Or perhaps, perhaps beyond uh, baseball and technology, they might disagree with us on other issues. They might be faithful followers of Jesus who do not agree with you about politics, who do not agree with you about many issues that we could legitimately disagree about. But they may still want to feel trust enough and open enough to maybe consider their perspectives without being shot down for being where they are right now. And maybe they're on a journey. Maybe you're on a journey. And maybe you're afraid to say what you think because I just don't know if I'll be rejected because, you know, I, but here's the thing. We're all, we're all trying to figure stuff out. As much as the, our media often tries to tell us that whatever perspective is so correct, right, and has it all figured out, it's not the case. Human life is complex, just as it was in that day. We look back at history and see the whole history of the early church and the Jewish faith and all that stuff. You couldn't have predicted most of it or any of it. And there's so many dynamics at work. But the one thing that is faithful and true and the rock of which we can stand to consider all other things is Jesus Christ. So we hold to him. And I have a hope for us all. A hope, and for myself, because I know disagreement is inevitable, 
And I think we all agree that our, our nation is in a terrible state, you know, and I, and I always say if the church doesn't talk about these things in, in a way that is Christ-honoring, then what hope is there for anybody else? You guys know what a Petri dish is? Scientists know that? I was thinking about it. The church is kind of like a Petri dish because they're used to grow things. And they're, for example, penicillin. You can grow really, really helpful substances but what you need to do, you need to have pretty much the perfect circumstances as to temperature and the medium in which you're growing it. And all these things have to be right in order for it to grow. And if you introduce some darkness or harmful bacteria can get in there, it, it could produce something unlike what you hoped. Not something beneficial anymore, something possibly potentially dangerous. And I think that if we're meant to be a sign and a foretaste and an instrument of the kingdom to come, we're better to do that. This is like a Petri dish. This, the, the situation, the conditions of our, what we have, are so fitted and perfect for human ability to actually be this sign and this instrument, this foretaste, this taste of heaven. Because we have the Holy Spirit. We have a Lord who is for us, a Jesus who is our friend. We have one another to encourage and to support and to pray. And really, I was thinking about, you know, even it's America. I'm from Scotland, you know, we got our troubles. Oh my goodness, the whole world seems to be just floundering right now. And I think about the church, and I think, really, if we cannot do that here in this perfect situation as far as what God has provided for us, it's all been done, we just simply step into it, and it's hard, challenging, then we may as well, in Britain or here, basically just abandon this experiment. Last one to leave, please switch the lights off. <laughs> but I have such hope, and I'll tell you one reason why I have such hope that it's possible here, because I'll tell you the perfect place to try this is on an island, okay? An island, I'll, I'll tell you why, an island that you have to wait for an hour or so to get a ferry off of it, and it takes at least an hour for the ferry to get to the mainland. And on this particular island, there's really only one main evangelical church, just one. Um, and the reason I know this is a perfect way is because I was a pastor on such an island for almost 10 years. And here's the beautiful thing about an island with enough uh, discomfort to go off the island to the other churches that might be around is that you probably hang in on this one thing because it's the only place that you can go to worship and serve and be the church. And I'll tell you what happens when that, when that happens. When people get a little bit bent out of shape and a little bit like, I don't really like the pastor's blue shirt today, whatever it might be, uh, or the fact that dogs won out over cats, I'm gonna go to the cat-loving church down the road. There's more Dodgers fans there, Angels fans, whatever. On an island, it's not so easy to do that. And that is a beautiful thing. Because you actually have to exist together with people that you don't agree with on many things, but you love Jesus, and they love Jesus, and together, the witness that you have to the community is quite remarkable. When they see people who they're affiliated with worshiping Jesus long time, alongside people who they don't like they're affiliated with worshiping Jesus, there's something powerful about that. 
And for almost 10 years, I experienced the ups and downs of that kind of life, but it's hard. You have hard conversations, but you always turn people back to what is your unity in? And compared to these differences, this is all. Christ is in all and is all. I will tell you at one point, we had the leader of the Republican local organization worshiping in our church and the head of the Democrat part of the islands worshiping in our church. And they're very different, but they came together. Can you imagine that? Is that bizarre? When they were both forming their opinions and hopefully filtering it through Jesus, and I know that both ways have changed since then, but that's the process. But it was amazing. How can we do this? Okay, closing up. I saw it. You know, you can't deny it. My experience was that it was a really uh, beautiful witness to the community holding those tensions in place for the sake of Christ because of an island, because of a ferry. <laughs> Much like the early church. Early church, there was one fellowship in town. And, you know, if you were a disturbing influence and they would say, you can't attend here at the moment, then that would really hurt because the believers all gathered together. They were of one heart, one mind, one vision, one mission, right? Here's what we do. John 15, John writes, I am the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So again, the priority is relationship with Jesus. Let everything else come from that. Um, and then be a fruit inspector, you know? Inspect your own fruit. Think about the convictions that you have and what do they produce in your life? The fruit of the spirit that Jesus says will be produced by a relationship with him central, central place, he's the hope of our behalf, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are these the things that are producing? This is the way we can test what it is that, what is our hope and what is it producing? I want, to hear, I want you to hear something that's very, very, very important. Does this mean that we, are to give up, we have to give up on our deeply held convictions about potentially contentious issues? Is that what you're saying, Grant? That I need to give up my deeply held convictions about potentially contentious issues? And the answer is no. Don't give them up. They're your convictions. But I hope that they come from your sense of what your values are in Christ and that you're open to a continuous uh, invitation for God to renew your mind, to change your heart, and that you will be open to the perspectives of your brothers and sisters because that's what they are. And it also asks from where do we get our information? Where do we get our information from? What is it that we are feasting on on a regular basis? I think sometimes we spend more time reading scripture and in fellowship with other people than we do, and I'm talking about myself right primarily here, reading news articles and listening to the opinions of people who we've never met, we've no idea of their character or anything or the veracity of their lives, never shared a meal with, we'd be in a much better place. Uh, I'm gonna invite the worship team up and I'm gonna issue a challenge. For those of us, like me, who are really prone to spending a lot of time devouring news articles and listening to podcasts and all these kinds of things, generally from people we've never met, Here's a challenge. I would invite you to take a spiritual fast from all network television and radio and podcasts for one entire week. Just don't switch the television on. Instead, get out your Bible and turn to the New Testament and start reading something there. And then, secondly, 
You could do both of these or just one of these if it's too heavy for you. I wonder if you know right now that there's someone in this church with whom you disagree about some contentious issues. And I would invite you to have coffee with them or lunch with them and sit down and talk about Jesus. Start with that. Share how you met Jesus. Where did that that come from? What happened? Where are you at right now? Where do you want to go? And purposely seek out someone with whom you disagree who's a brother or sister in Christ. Talk about Jesus. Lastly, you know there's an election coming up in 2020? Are you nervous about it? I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about who's going to win, whatever, blah, blah, blah. God's still on his throne. Ultimately, that's of, of, of less consequence than the fact that God is on the throne, right? We may not even have 2020, tell you. It could all be done now, and we're like worrying for nothing, right? But I know many of us are worried about the church in this situation because you know that people of faith are a voting block. Politicians have long ago discovered this. Just as the entertainment world has also discovered that we are a voting block. We'll buy tickets for Christian sort of films, right? So my hope is that this congregation will remain at peace with one another through the entire process because we have Jesus and he is what we find our unity in. And we will never divide over something so piddly as today's political situation because they come and go like, man, they come and go. And they will never solve the deepest problems. But it's good to have convictions. Don't give up on your convictions. They're, they're good, but have them be well considered. Think about it. But do not separate from your brother and sister over something like that. So I'm inviting you guys, this is going to be coming soon, to journey with me through a book. And I just decided this this morning. I haven't told Ronnie yet, so I, you know, we'll figure it out when we're going to do it. Yeah, but we'll do it. It's called, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. I Think You're Wrong but I'm listening. And it's from two women, Christian women, from complete opposite ends of the political spectrum who decided that what was happening was broken and they needed to find a better way together. So I'm gonna start a group with this book. So don't buy it yet, okay? We're gonna announce it. And anyone, especially if you have strong convictions about politics, and I'm glad you do. My country, Scotland, was built on many people with strong political convictions. But if we're brothers and sisters, we gotta think about how to talk about these things together. Or we pretend it's not relevant to life. We just shy away. Don't talk about politics or religion in polite company. You know, so this is coming. I love and appreciate every single one of you. Thank you for putting up with me. And uh, let's worship about what is truly uh, unitive and true and real and good. Amen. Will you all stand and worship with me?